0: And it's really good that you're here today to to share God's word with us as well. We're just going to pray for you, pray for your family, and uh, just open up for you to to speak to us. So, Father, thank you for David, Stephen, Terry, Jill, and the wider family. Lord, we we commit them to you now. We we especially think of Terry and Jill in this different phase of their life, that you would pour out your blessings into that situation, uh, work in their lives. Uh, Lord, and we, we we thank you for uh, David and his heart as well. And Lord, as he brings your word to us this morning, we ask that you will anoint him and bless him and uh, and his family. Uh, listening back at home as well, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank, thank you, you Alan. Thank you. Um, like I say, it's just such a, a joy to be here today. And I do share the love of West Malton Baptist Church. Uh, with you. We've been up here on holiday, we went camping at Cromer and then we've just uh, uh, been spending the week with Dad and we've had the joy of being able to to visit Mum as well uh, at Woodland. So um, it's a real joy to be here and uh, thanks to Alan. This is incredible, just uh, the, the team that are here working today um, with this service. It's just brilliant to share with them. I'll, if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to, to turn with me to Matthew chapter fourteen. Uh, we're going to read from verses twenty two uh, to twenty uh, to twenty two to thirty three, Matthew chapter fourteen. It's entitled "Jesus Walks on Water," and it is as follows: Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And he cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, "'Lord, save me.' Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. "'You of little faith,' he said. "'Why did you doubt?' And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, "'Truly, you are the Son of God.' When they crossed over, they landed at Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognised Jesus, They sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. We give thanks to God for his amazing word. Um, In his book, uh, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, John Ortberg tells this story. He says, Some years ago, my wife arranged for us to ride in a hot air balloon as a birthday gift. We went to the field where the balloons ascended and got into a little basket with one other couple. We introduced ourselves and swapped vocational information. Then our pilot began the ascent. It was scenic, inspiring, and majestic but I also experienced one emotion I had not anticipated, the emotion of fear. I had always thought those baskets went about chest high, but this one only came up to our knees. One good lurch would be enough to throw someone over the side, so I held on with grim determination and white knuckles. I looked over at my wife, who does not care for heights at all, and relaxed a bit, knowing there was someone in the basket more tense than I was. I could tell because she would not move at all. About this time, I decided I would like to get to know the kid who was flying this balloon. I realised that I could try to psych myself up into believing everything would be fine, but the truth was we had placed our lives and destinies in the hands of the pilot. Everything depended on his character and his competence. I asked him what he did for a living and how he got started to flying hot air balloons. I knew we were in trouble when his response to me began, dude, it's like this. He did not even have a job and he mostly surfed. He said the reason he got started flying hot air balloons was that he'd been driving around in his pickup when he'd had too much to drink, crashed the truck, and badly injured his brother. His brother couldn't get around too well, so watching hot air balloons gave him something to do. By the way, he added, if things get a little choppy on the way down, don't be surprised. I've never flown this particular balloon before and I'm not sure how it's going to handle the descent. My wife looked over at me and said, you mean to tell me we are a thousand feet up in the air with an unemployed surfer who started flying hot air balloons because he got drunk, crashed a pickup truck, injured his brother and has never been in this one before and doesn't know how to bring it down. Then the wife of the other couple looked at me and spoke. The only words either of them were to utter throughout the entire flight. She said, you're a pastor, do something religious. (laughs) You're a pastor, do something religious. You know, it's not always easy to trust the pilot. If we look at the context of this passage, this had been... A really crazy day for Jesus and the disciples. It starts with the news that John's dear relative, uh, Jesus' dear relative John, has, has been beheaded. John the Baptist has been executed. And, and chapter 14 of Matthew's Gospel is actually seen as the hinge of the whole gospel. It's the pivotal moment. It's, it's the moment <clears throat> where there's a gear change. Suddenly, we see this foreshadowing of what's to come. In other words, what happened to John is going to happen to Jesus. And Jesus is fully aware of this. And, and so, in this context of bereavement, but also a, a growing sense of the mission and and the destiny that Jesus was journeying towards. It was in this situation that Jesus just wants to take some time out. And so what does he do? He gets hold of his disciples, some of whom are professional fishermen, and he says, look, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Let's just take some time out. I just want to be alone. And I think Jesus just wanted to withdraw at that moment with his disciples, number one, just to process what had happened to John, but also to take some time out for him and the disciples as a way of preparation because Jesus knew his direction of travel. It was for bereavement and preparation. But, you know, sometimes sometimes things don't turn out as you expect. And when they would got over the other side of the lake... Suddenly, Jesus is met by this massive crowd. Have you ever been in a situation where, where the last thing you want to do is, it, is, is to be with somebody? Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's been the end of a long day and, and you just sit down in the chair. You've you just got your food or you've got your cup of tea or whatever and suddenly the doorbell goes. Or, or there's a phone call and you think, oh no, just at that moment when you're just wanting to get away, somebody comes and bothers you. And that, that might have been the situation for Jesus and the disciples. Jesus trying to get away, goes over the lake, and suddenly there is this massive crowd. Now you could have understood it if Jesus had said to his disciples, just tell them to go away or I'll, I'll meet with them tomorrow. But Jesus doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? We see that out of compassion, out of a heart, out of a passion for those people, what does Jesus do? Jesus, Jesus ministers to them. He heals the sick. And then, and then he teaches them, and then he ministers to them. Actually, he performs an incredible miracle with the five loaves and the two fish. Now, this is important. Because actually, this miracle of the loaves was actually a miracle of revelation. Jesus was giving this crowd an insight into who he is and what he was going to do. Jesus is showing them something of himself. And that crowd that day and the disciples had a vision of the sovereignty of Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, I am the son of God and my ministry is the bread of life. And I just want to welcome everybody to my banquet table. I just want to invite everybody to the feast. I want to invite you to my house, my home, and I want to share with you. That's what the miracle of the five loaves and the two fish is all about. Jesus is revealing himself truly as the bread of life. And and they could see this. Look at how John describes the scene. In John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, it says After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I think in this moment, as they experienced this miracle, I think the crowd and the disciples were suddenly thinking, this is the moment, this is the revolution, this is the uprising, we're going to go and storm the Romans, we're going to go and liberate the people, and everyone on that hillside was suddenly thinking, this is it. Everyone was fervent. And Jesus once again knew exactly what they were thinking. He wanted them to see the revelation of himself, that was the very purpose, but this was not the time and this was not his method and so now in verse 22 we see that Jesus has to manage the situation and so Jesus does three things first of all immediately he gets the disciples out of there in fact there's a strong word here he compels them he he says just go I need you to get in the boat, and I need you to go back over to the other side. Now, Jesus had further business with them, but for the moment, he just says, get on a boat and go back to the other side. That's what he does with the disciples. Then, he needs to manage the crowd. And in terms of the crowd, he simply dismisses them. He said, go home. It's been a long day. It will be dark soon. You need to take that journey So he he compels the disciples, he dismisses the crowd, and then what does Jesus do? Once again, he withdraws. He withdraws to be with the Father. Do you know there's about three occasions in in this chapter, in this kind of episode of Jesus, where Jesus all the time is taking time out to be with the Father. When, When Jesus calls you to a particular purpose, to a particular mission. When Jesus puts a call on your life, it has to be fueled with time spent with the Father. That's what Jesus is modeling here. Jesus says to the disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. Everything, if, if we're going to step into the call that God has placed on our lives, it has to be nurtured with time with the father and jesus knew that and so so jesus dismisses the disciples he dismisses the crowd and then he withdraws to the father but you know in the midst of this crazy day this was completely confusing for the disciples you could imagine them in this boat thinking why is jesus not with us and why is jesus dousing everything down surely the kingdom was beginning to emerge right before their eyes. The truth is this. This is what's going on here. This whole episode, the loaves and the water, this was all about seeing who Jesus is and to to learn to trust him for who he is. This revelation of the loaves and the walking on the water, these two miracles, it's a revelation designed to build trust jesus is saying this can you trust me in a desert can you trust me when you are hungry can you trust me in a boat can you trust me in a storm can you trust me in everything do you trust the pilot the lesson of this passage is trust actually there is a sense here that Jesus deliberately led them into the storm on their own without him, specifically as a preparation of trust. Actually, the walking on the water is like a training exercise for the disciples. You see, it would not be too much longer when they would be sailing the boat without Jesus in it. Jesus would return to the Father, and whilst he would be with them through the person of the Holy Spirit— they were going to be in the boat without him there physically present. This is very similar to to the time before on the lake when, when Jesus was asleep in the boat and there was that massive storm and they were like, Teacher, don't you care if we're going to drown? This is a very parallel situation. The first time, Jesus is with them in the boat. The second time, Jesus is not with them physically. And, and I think the two are to go together. There was a time when the disciples were with, with Jesus, but there was a time when the disciples were going to have the Holy Spirit, but Jesus wasn't going to be with them physically. And so this is about preparation. It was a training exercise. Jesus had to get the disciples to a place where, where, they, where they could understand to trust Jesus in every circumstance. Is it possible that sometimes jesus puts us deliberately into a challenging situation into a situation out of our comfort zone is it possible that sometimes jesus even puts us into a storm in order to develop trust within us I, i think that's i think that's what jesus did with with me I think he called me to a place where he knew it was going to be challenging for a period of time. And I think he did it because, because he wanted me to develop a deeper trust in him. So I just want to ask in these moments, that that's just a bit of the backdrop to this whole episode. Um, I want to ask the question, what do we learn here about trusting? What do we learn here? about trusting Jesus. Just two thoughts that I want to kind of put before us this morning um, as we dig into this passage. First of all, the first thing we learn about trusting here is that trust is actually based on the word of Jesus. It's it's actually based on the invitation, the call, the, the word of Jesus. Look at verse 28. There's this interaction. Peter doesn't just... I know Peter is quite reckless, but and, and he's quite impulsive, but even Peter doesn't get out of the boat until he's heard the invitation of Jesus. Look at verse 28. It says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And what does Jesus say? It says in verse 28, come, come, he said. Do you know when jesus says something we can truly trust it and we can truly believe it think back to a similar situation um, in luke's gospel luke chapter 5 verse 5 One, once again jesus is at the water's edge and once again there's a crowd and jesus has been teaching this crowd and he sees an opportunity uh, because they're all crowding into him, Jesus sees these two boats and and he steps into one of the boats and he says to, actually he steps into Simon, Simon's boat and he says to Simon, just push out a little bit so I can address the crowd. And when he's taught the crowd and then he dismisses the crowd, he then says something which is counterintuitive to these professional fishermen. He says He says to them, push out a little bit deeper and put, your nets down and Peter Simon as he was then he's just looking at Jesus and he's thinking that is crazy he says to Jesus he says look we have fished all night it's not the time to fish we have been at it all night we haven't caught anything and you know logically this isn't the time to go fishing but then what does he say Peter says this and this is really telling he says but because you say so i will let down the nets i mean who's the fishing expert here is it peter or is it jesus but peter is willing to trust jesus even if it was illogical peter is willing to trust jesus because you say so i will let down the nets and it's the same here Peter is impulsive and on many occasions he lets his heart rule his head. But if you say, but if Jesus, if you say come out onto the water because you say it, I will step out. And I think the crucial thing here is that Peter trusted Jesus at his word. He knew that Jesus had the power and the ability even if the action was impossible. The ability of Jesus outweighed the impossibility of walking on water. But Peter trusted Jesus at his word. You know, if Jesus tells you to do something, you can really trust him at his word, even if it seems impossible or illogical. If Jesus says, you can do it, the reality is, you can do it. Take, for example, Jackie Pullinger. Jackie graduated from the Royal College of Music in London, having specialised in the oboe. At the age of 22, she wanted to be a missionary, so she wrote to various missionary organisations. Unable to find support from any of them, she then sought advice from a bloke called Richard Thompson, who was a minister in Shoreditch, who told her that she should buy a ticket for a boat going as far as she could get and pray to know when God says to get off the boat. That's incredible advice. At first, she wanted to go to Africa, but then she had a dream that impressed upon her the idea of going to Hong Kong. She followed the vicar's advice and went to Hong Kong by boat in 1966. However, when she arrived, she knew no one there and only had $10 on hand. The only reason the immigration officers allowed her in was because her mother's godson was a police officer there. She found work as a primary school teacher in the Kowloon Walled City, which in the 1960s was not policed and consequently had become one of the world's largest opium-producing centres run by criminal triad gangs. Jackie got to know some of the gang members and leaders despite the danger and helped them to find that Jesus can give a purpose and a reason for living without having to use drugs. Later, she established a youth center that helped the drug addicts and street sleepers inside the walled city. Today, many of the people who met Jesus and came off drugs in Hong Kong have gone to other countries in Asia to share what Jesus has done. Jackie says, addicts are driven. Satan drives. The Holy Spirit leads. So I'm not even purpose-driven. Hopefully, I'm spirit-led. You know, however crazy or impossible something might seem, if Jesus says, I want you to do it, you can really trust him in this. So Peter trusted Jesus at his word. But secondly, we see here that Jesus gave Peter the chance to refocus. He gave him the chance to refocus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Do you know, in many ways, it was a classic don't look down moment. Perhaps this was the moment when Peter's mind caught up with his heart, but whatever the reason for it, it was definitely the moment that Peter lost his his focus. That moment when he saw the wind. And you know, this is, this to me is always the challenge. It's where is our focus? Peter began to sink when his focus moved from the stability of Jesus to the instability of the circumstance. And you know, this is always the battle. Are we going to focus on Jesus or are we going to focus on the circumstances? Are we going to focus on the one who has the power over the storm, or are we going to look at the wind or the waves? This is always the battle. Is David going to look at Goliath, or is he going to look up and see the Lord of hosts? Is Daniel going to look at the lions, or is he going to see God, who is, who is the one who is able to shut the mouth of the lions? Is... Is Moses going to look at the army storming him or is he going to look up at God and raise, reach out his hand and reach out his staff as God had told him to do? Is Joshua going to look at the stronghold of Jericho or is he going to look up and see the one who is bigger than the city? Do you know, that is always the challenge. Are we going to see the circumstances or are we going to see God who is always sovereign over the circumstance i want us to think for a moment of the dynamics here think about this peter was only able to walk on water because jesus was upholding him and so the question i've pondered with this is why then did peter begin to sink why why did he actually begin to sink is it possible that Jesus slowly began to withdraw his power over the water? In other words, did Jesus actually allow Peter to begin to sink? Is it possible that Jesus allowed him to start sinking so that Peter naturally put put his focus back on him? You see, immediately as Peter refocuses on Jesus... It's at this moment that he is lifted up. Actually, it's at this moment when Peter refocuses on Jesus that he, he moves closer to Jesus. Jesus reaches out. That's when Peter makes contact, when he puts his eyes back on him. Is it possible that Jesus sometimes graciously lets us sink a little in order to let us, in order to help us to refocus? Do you know... My experience is this: there's always a tension between trusting in Jesus or 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 getting caught up in the circumstances. But we need to remember that Jesus is always more powerful than the storm. The crucial lesson here is focus. Remember the old hymn, "Turn your eyes upon Jesus." I'm not going to sing it; that that would put you right off. But so. Um, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus graciously always gives us that opportunity to refocus. He gives us that space and opportunity to turn our eyes back on him. So there we have it. Um, It's not always easy to trust the pilot. And the question that I've asked today is, what do we learn here about trusting Jesus? Two things. Trust is based on the word of Jesus. If Jesus says you can do something, you can really do it. And secondly, sometimes when we're caught up in panic or we're caught up in fear or, or we think that we think the challenge is too big, Jesus always gives us that chance to refocus, to turn our eye back on him. And so just very simply, my encouragement is this, look to Jesus, not the circumstance. Look to Jesus, not the circumstance. It's been a joy to share with you today. Thank you so much for having me. But as we all journey through this week, whatever the storm, whatever the situation, let's commit ourselves today to fixing our eye on Jesus. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Just, there might be something that you're really worried about this week. Something that's ahead of you in these next seven days that is stressing you out. Um, Just why not take this moment just to come to Jesus and say, "Lord, I want to see You in this circumstance. You're bigger. You're not phased by my situation this week. You're, you're not panicked." by these next seven days in my life. Help me to know your calm. Help me to know your power. Help me to know your voice, your words, today in my circumstance. Lord, would you minister your peace where there's anxiety today? Help us to look to you. Thank you that you are sovereign over every storm.